I was done. I was like, I'll get, I'll get my drugs somewhere else. Like, I don't care. You know, like I was so done. Um, and so I just remember screaming at the top of my lungs and I was just like, get the fuck off of me. Like, get off. And mm-hmm. I was like, if you don't get your fucking hands off me right now, I'm going to call the police and you're going to go to fucking jail. And he just went like this. Hi, Piper. Hi, Lysha. Welcome to the Fuck the Stigma podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I've known Piper for about a year now. Over a year. Uh, yeah. So it's, yeah, over a year oh, ago. Oh, no, wait. A, a year. Because you were in re- your clean dates August 1st. So it was like September y- 14th is yeah. when I got to stairways. Yeah. So a year. So yeah. So Piper was my first roommate in a sober living, <laughs> which I'm actively still in. So I've known Piper <laughs> for a little bit. and Yeah. We're both Carolina girls. Carolina girls. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what does fuck the stigma mean to you? I feel like addicts, there is such a like cliche or stereotype that, you know, addicts are like these horrible people. They're dumb. They just can't get it right. Like they just fuck up. And, you know, that's not the case at all. Addicts are some of the most smart people were very adaptable, very resourceful, very resourceful. <laughs> and like addicts are so smart, you yeah, know, we and just have a drug problem. We just have a drug problem, <laughs> you know, and or alcohol or whatever your thing is, you know, but like this podcast is dope and like, fuck the stigma, like fuck the stigma around addicts and like, fuck everyone who judges us, you know? Fuck. Yeah. Because fuck them. Fuck them. So, yeah, so we've known each other about a year now, and you kind of, like, separated away from, like, the community that we're in mm-hmm. um, because I heard you relapsed. Yes. So what's going on with that? So I had 13 months clean. Mm-hmm. Um, my drug of choice is fentanyl. Um, that's kind of what took me out um, and brought me to the rooms. Um, but I was an addict long before I ever touched fentanyl. Um So yeah, I am originally from Charlotte, North Carolina, grew up there most of my life. Um, and I came out to California to get clean and sober. Um, and I was good for like 13 months. I was in sober living, um, great community, great program. I was on it. Um, and then like I, I moved out of sober living and, Mm -hmm those thoughts start to enter, you know, and once, when you're kind of on your own, well, when you are on your own in the real world, you know, like you, you're, you have no one holding you accountable, but yourself, you know, and I couldn't hold myself. That's the scary part about leaving. It's so relieving. It's so scary, you know, because you have that safety net, you know, and it's like, you're just constantly pushing Mm -hmm. accountability on you. Like I'm not getting drug tested any any week anymore. I, I, I'm not getting breathalyzed every night, you know? And I was fine at first and I was good. Um, and then I stopped coming around my community. Um, I stopped going to meetings. I, you know, lost contact with people and I ended up smoking weed and I lied to everyone in my community for two months. So you started isolating a little bit. Yes. Kind of just isolation. You said two months before you told anybody. Mm-hmm. How come? Um, because I felt, well, Around relapsing, there is the stigma. Yeah, there of, is a stigma in the community with relapsing. Yeah, like, you know, and I I feel like so many people feel like this. It's so hard to get honest because you feel like those feelings of guilt and yeah. shame. And like, I literally felt like I was like Hannah Montana. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting the best of both worlds. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like living this double life, mm-hmm. you know? And it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't it anymore. Um, so you were just scared of coming clean about like having smoked weed or whatever Yeah. It was. So I just, I felt like since I got a year and I took a cake, I felt like there was this high expectation of me. Yeah. Like, oh, she, she has it now. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of felt like that too. You know, yeah. I was kind of like, okay, like I got a year, you know, I've done everything right. You know, you're like now time to sit back. Yeah. But it's, it's not it's, like that at all. It's not like that at all. Like your recovery is 24 seven. And it's more than just like, definitely more than just going to meetings, mm-hmm. more than a 12 step program. It's, it's just like a lifestyle. It is you a have lifestyle. It is. It's like a diet. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> it is. It's like a diet from drugs, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's like people who are keto don't eat carbs, but like, you know, we're drug addicts. So we don't, we can't can't eat drugs anymore, you know? Why wait two months to come clean? And what were like the feelings that you were feeling in those two months of just like keeping a secret? So, oh, what made me come clean? Um, so what made me come clean was my now ex-boyfriend. He, um, was messaging other girls, just being inappropriate with other women. And I was talking to my therapist about it and I I called my therapist and I wasn't planning on telling my therapist that I had been smoking, Mm -hmm. but I was just kind of like, it just felt like the right moment. Like I just couldn't hold it in, in anymore. And he was, he said something and he, I was just like, I don't understand why this is happening. And he was like, you know, I'm, cause I've gone through this before with a different guy and like, like uh, your boyfriend, like cheating on you yes. and stuff. Yes. And definitely with addicts, it's a, uh, it's not just about using drugs. It's the behavior. Yes. Like you're just smoking weed, like California sober, yeah. but if you're an addict, you're going to act on like, you're going to be shady, sneaky. Mm-hmm. That's just how we are. Yeah. We're going to start cheating. We're going to start talking to other people. Lying. We're going to start lying, stealing, all of that Manipulating, mm-hmm. all of it. And, and I was doing all of that, but cheating. <laughs> so it's not like I'm that great either. You know, yeah. you know, like I was doing, I was doing just as much fucked up shit as he was, but I just mm-hmm. was doing different things. You know, it was the same level, you know, but, um, so yeah and my therapist said to me he was just like you know if if your boyfriend hadn't have done this would you have come clean about you know smoking and weed and you know relapsing and i was like no who knows how much longer i would have held it in yeah and eventually could have led you to your actual drug yeah. Of choice yeah so i was honestly and i think it's things are all about perspective because like i my, i'll catch my mind kind of going to that negative like oh man, like why again? You know, like why am I dealing with this again? But like, I have to look at the bright side of every situation, you know, because us addicts are thinking can go to positive, negative like that, you know? So that drives us to go. Yeah. Like like I have to change my perspective during, throughout my days, probably like 15 times a day, you know? And him kind of doing that, it was like a, it kind of benefited. It did. It benefited. It did. And Um, like, you know, today I have four days clean. Four days. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's crazy how like you were kind of living in the fear of the stigma Mm -hmm. for two months just Mm -hmm. because like, what are my parents going to say? What is the community going to say? What are people going to think about me now? Like Mm -hmm. she got a year now, like, oh, she's back at day one. Yeah. And then from that to like your boyfriend cheating, drawing that line 
it's like at least something in you kind of allowed you to come clean yeah um and i feel like all the negative that i've dealt with especially in the last week last two months um i don't know i feel like it's slowly turning to positive and what were the overall reactions of like um you telling people so um, i was scared you know to tell people and i was expecting everyone to be like you know i was expecting my parents to be like so upset with me and just so disappointed and just kind of like i was scared they weren't going to want to support me yeah, anymore you, you were scared of like we're addicts it's nature mm-hmm. of like oh I'm sorry, I went and used drugs again. When mm-hmm. it's like, it fucking happens. Yeah. There doesn't need to be a stigma around relapsing. Yeah. It, yeah. it happens, you know? And like, some people relapse one time, some people relapse 15 times, but all of those relapses, you learn something. Yeah. You know? It's like, an experience you have to have. Yeah. And like, since I came clean, I've learned more in four days than I have in four months. Yeah. You know? So, um, but yeah, my family my family was awesome. Um, they were so supportive. Like I have the best family that like I could ask for in this situation. Just so supportive. Um, just wanting me to get back on it, you know, get back on the wagon, you Mm -hmm. know, um, friends, the community. Amazing. I mean, everyone was so welcoming and like my mind was telling me like, everyone's gonna hate you like they're gonna yell at you like they're gonna shame you shun you for being an addict and then my sponsor said to me piper we don't shoot our wounded mm. and that was like wow you I, know i definitely think it's her preconceptions of like mm-hmm. being a disappointment yeah i don't want to do that anymore and like obviously it is disappointing to people i know my parents are di- were and are disappointed you mm-hmm. know but they're just happy that their daughter's alive you know yeah. that's all they can ask and that she's trying you know mm-hmm what about did you experience stigma with your family like overall uh like say with your lifestyle figuring out like you had to go to treatment so i come from a family um you know there's definitely addiction in my family um it goes back who knows how long you know especially on my mom's side um like my mom's mom was a raging alcoholic party girl you know and um you know my aunt and you know just so many people in my family um are are sober and have like my aunt has like 40 years clean Mm. yeah um for me i i it was really weird figuring out i was an addict i mm -hmm. you have that assumption of like oh it's a homeless person on the street asking for drugs yeah but i didn't have any that's just what I assume because I didn't. There's nobody in my family that struggled with addiction. I was mm-hmm. just like, I guess I'm the only one, <laughs> like doing that. So it was weird. It was harder for me to identify as one. So at first, it was hard for me too because when I first came to treatment, I was 21. You know, like I at 21, you're supposed to start your partying days. You know, <laughs> and by 21, I was done with my partying days. I started at 12 years old. You yeah. know, so 12 was- to 4, 12 to 21 i was off and running that's so crazy going back to like how addicts are so resourceful like Mm -hmm. my drinking days started early ended early i ended my drinking days 18 years old yeah like that's insane like we're so young but i feel like it's a beautiful thing that we can we have the opportunity to do this so young Mm -hmm. you know so for me it was 
it was hard to identify as an addict too. Um, but you know, once I went to rehab and I went to sober living and I was in the rooms, um, you know, I, you know, realized like I have so many qualities. Like I can think back to when I was four years old and I would change my outfit eight times a day because I was have I was so obsessed with having the perfect outfit or, like or look, appearing good. Yes, good. I remember being five years old and looking in the mirror and like hating the way my body looked and like trying to starve myself at five years old. Mm. Um, you know, so th- you know, like there's a lot of eating stuff in my family. There's a lot of addiction stuff in my family. Um, diabetes is always a re- it's a really really big thing in my family now it's on both sides my grandmother on my dad's side was just diagnosed and my mom is a type 1 diabetic um, so I have and I have addiction on both sides of my family mm. so but what's interesting is is that I didn't I didn't even know my aunt. So my mom's the youngest of five and so her oldest sister my aunt Chrissy she has she's the one with like 40 years sober um, and I didn't know that until I had like three months I didn't even know she was sober. I had no that's idea. Not like my family about. just didn't talk about they didn't it. Talk about and like it. that's something that's like really amazing. And like it's fucking impressive. Yeah. And like I had no idea, you know, that she was sober for this long. And like I've known her my whole life. I've been close to her forever, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, with addiction running in my family, um, you know, the stigma, you know, is gonna be some my mom kind of my mom told me when I first went to treatment that she had a feeling all of her life that one of her kids was going to be an addict Mm. um just because it's so prevalent in our family um and I come from the sort of family where you drink every night you know like I come from the sort of family where you know like it, it, it's a, it, my parents were like yeah. kind of chill with me smoking weed in high school. Like they were kind of, they were, my parents were chill, like super chill because yeah. they knew I was going to do whatever the hell I wanted to do, regardless of what they said. You know, like I never got grounded ever. Not once did I get grounded. I got ground. Okay. That's a lie. I got grounded one time for sleeping over at a boy's house and lying in eighth grade, but I was grounded for a month and my dad bought me a laptop. <laughs> Would you say your family was well off? Yes, like, I, I would. And like, I, I don't normally like, I don't bring that up, but I feel like, you know, there's people like you were saying, the addicts are the homeless people on the street, you know, but it, like, that's not the case. Like I come from a very well off family, um, grew up going to the country club, you know, playing with the kids in the neighborhood, the hunky dory stereotypical dad goes to work, mom stays home. Mm. There's my brother is three years older than me. You know, we're close in age. Outside, it looks perfect. Outside, it like was the perfect. American dream. But every night, you know, like I come home and I didn't see it when I was a kid. Like it didn't bother me. But now, seeing the way like my mother drinks, sometimes it does bother me. You mm-hmm. know, but that's something for her to figure out on her own. I can't force anything on anyone. You know, definitely. Um, and like sometimes, you know, that sort of stuff does bother me, but you know, it's, you know, we can't, you can't force anyone to want to, want to be sober. You definitely can't. Cause it's not going to work. It's definitely your own experience, your own journey. Yeah. You can't, I de- you can't tell someone, Hey, you're an addict or an alcoholic. You have to, it's, I think it's a self-diagnosed type of thing. Mm-hmm. My personal opinion. Cause otherwise you're not going to hear or give a fuck about like 
whatever label somebody is throwing at you. A part of me does not like the whole label thing, but it's like the other side of me wants to own it. Like I'm not scared of identifying as an addict or an alcoholic mm -hmm. or a lesbian or a woman or Dominican, whatever it is. Um, I think it just comes of like, that's, that's kind of what I am, mm -hmm. you know? What about, um, you, you mentioned like problems with eating. What about mental health or that? So to get into like the eating issues. Um, so like I said earlier, like I remember being five years old and hating the way I looked in the mirror. Um, so my mom is a type one diabetic. Mm -hmm. So there was always a lot of um, pressure and like not force because like I loved to play soccer as a kid, mm -hmm. but there was a lot of pressure, you know, to eat right, be fit, you know, cause diabetes runs in our family. Like it was a rule in my family that if you weren't playing a sport, you had to go to the gym. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I remember being like five years old and like thinking I was fat, you know, and like I wasn't, I was a five-year-old kid, mm -hmm. you know, and like that stayed with, I remember not wanting to go to school in fourth grade because like I was so embarrassed of like my fingers, you know, like I, I thought my fingers were too fat, you know, and that just like gradually as I got older. Um, so my parents got divorced when I was like 11, 12, I was in eighth grade. Um, so my parents split up and that's kind of what pushed like everything, like partying, drugs, alcohol, sex, um, eating disorder stuff. Like it just kind of like pushed it all forward and brought mm -hmm. it all to the forefront, even though it probably was our, it was already there. It was already there. It Those, just kind of like, it just boosted it. Yeah. Made it act now. Yeah. So that's when I was like 12 was the first time I remember like really like going like a month with like fully starving myself mm. um and like my family didn't know and then i remember um in high school like i had this boyfriend he was like my first like boyfriend like i lost my virginity to him but like he wasn't my it's like it wasn't like a real boyfriend like we dated for like a month and then he cheated on me so it was like whatever you know yeah. <laughs> i was like 15 <laughs> but like he took my virginity and like all this stuff and you know i remember wanting to be so skinny for him because i thought i was fat so i would starve myself for a boy mm. or you know and then it 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 gradually got worse just like my addiction my eating disorder got worse too you know like okay, then it started me making myself throw up, you know, me binge eating and then throwing it all up, me starving myself, you know, and all this, it just gradually, like over the course of my whole life until I was for 21 years, this all just built up and built up until the point where I was almost dead. I was like, I have the body type, like y'all, y'all see me like, you know, I'm a little curvy, you know, like I got a, I got a butt, I got some, I got some nice boobs, yeah. you know, like, that's just how I am. And I was a hundred pounds when I came out to California. I was just, my legs, I showed you the picture yesterday. Yes. Yes. Disgusting. I was, I was sticking bones. As and well, I bro. thought I was like so hot. Like yeah. that was like, I was like, so, I, this is the hottest I will ever be. Yeah. You know, the way we like tell ourselves that the unhealthy things that we do. Yeah. I thought I was, I was sticking bones and I came into treatment thinking I was literally fat. And like I was a hundred pounds wet. Yeah. Like, yes. And you showed me. We were yeah. like, look at our pictures when we first got got sober, skinny. The the change with just like our bodies and our state of mind, it's it's so much better. But it can like 
go up and down. Mm-hmm. Like we can go back to thinking we're fat again. Yeah. Or go back to like or adequate way of thinking. Yeah. And I mean, like I still struggle with eating stuff, you know, I mean, like I'm not going to lie. Like, honestly, this past week since I found out about all this stuff in my life, I have barely been eating just because my body like it literally feels like my body will not allow me to eat. Mm. Like, that's how it feels. Yeah, like, it's not like even a conscious if, thing we're deciding. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's just ingrained in us to just not want to eat. Yeah. Like, because we feel shit about it. Yeah. Ourselves. Like, that was something, that is something I can control right now. Because right now, my life yeah. is up in the air. So, my eating is what I can control right mm. now. And I mean, I'm not going to lie, I haven't said this before until I came here today, but like, I have not been eating that much, you know? Um, like, I got a bagel this morning, and I ate, like, half of it, and I thought I was going to throw up. Like, it was, it's not like I don't want to eat right now, but it's like, I, I can't, yeah. you know? Like, and I hate it, you know? It's like you want to stop smoking cigarettes, but you can't. Exactly. You know? Have you talked to a, a your therapist about it? Yeah. Have you been diagnosed? Yes. So I've been diagnosed with anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, purging. I've been diagnosed with it all. Um, you also talked about mental health stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been diagnosed. Um, I have anxiety, depression, which I take meds for. Um, and then I take a mood stabilizer. So I'm like, I haven't been diagnosed as bipolar, but I have bipolar tendencies. Um, my, my therapist, like, I literally was like, dude, I think I'm bipolar. And he was like, I don't think you're bipolar. Like I've done these. Yes. I'm, I'm a hypochondriac. So like, I think I'm always, but like, I do take a mood stabilizer that bipolar people do take. Ah. So, but I'm, I'm like, I like to say I'm like half bipolar. (laughs) I'm like tripolar. (laughs) (laughs) You know, do not self-diagnose. Don't, don't, don't do that. (laughs) Um, so yeah, but I mean, I've struggled. The first time I really felt like prominent mental health issues was when my parents got divorced, just because my parents' divorce was really messy. Um, that's when you noticed it? Yes. So that's the first time I know in my life I truly felt like depression. Um, it was probably, I mean, other than when I was, you know, right before I came out to California, um, those, when my parents got divorced when I was like 12 and when I was 21, um, those were the most I was ever depressed in my life. Um, and yeah. Yeah. There's just some things like we don't realize are there until like something just sets it off. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Like I didn't know I was an addict until I started doing fentanyl, you know? And then, and then, but it's interesting because looking back hindsight's always 2020 and looking back over the course of these last almost 23 years of my life i see all those addict tendencies (laughs) you know but like i didn't think i was an addict until i put the drugs in my system and i couldn't put them down Mm -hmm. you know and like you know it was the same thing with weed like even though like with this last relapse like even though i wasn't you know doing your drug of choice i wasn't doing my drug of choice i was still using I was smoking weed like I was doing fentanyl, you know? Like, when I was doing fentanyl, it was 24-7. Felt like I couldn't go a moment without it. Same thing with weed, you know? Like, I told myself at the beginning, like, okay, I'm only going to smoke after work. Like, I can be California sober, you know? And, (laughs) you know, and um, 
So I told myself, okay, I'm only going to smoke after work. I got this. I can, I can handle it. Yeah, we can, you know, do it. we can do it. We can control our disease. <laughs> that is what we can do. Um, but so, you know, it started being like, okay, like I can do it in the morning before work and after work, just as long mm. as I'm not doing it at work, Yeah, you know? And then I started doing it at work. Just ca- crossing those like boundaries and, yeah, and, and that you set for yourself. Yeah. Like, and it was just like, I did the same thing with, you know, with, with fentanyl, you know, I, um, I, I said I was only going to do it with my ex-boyfriends. Yeah. Like, and, I don't, yeah, you go. <laughs> <laughs> I would, the way I justified me not being an addict for so long is like, I'm only doing it with my best friend. But we're always together, you know? <laughs> and then, like, here and there, I only do it without him, like, only sometimes. And then it became, like, all the time. Yeah. With or without him. It's yes. just all these justifications. I would look mm-hmm. back. When I was in rehab, I would look back. No, I would only do it with him. It was only because I was with him. No. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? I don't remember. <laughs> what was that? Probably what you were going to I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I look like Princess Layla. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like I crossed all these boundaries, you know, and I asked my sponsor the other day, I was like, everyone keeps telling me that I was eventually going to do fentanyl. And like, I... I was still getting my Vivitrol shot. If you don't know what a Vivitrol shot is, it's a shot in your ass. Feels good. And yeah, and <laughs> it's a shot in your ass and you, it blocks opiates and alcohol. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm still getting my Vivitrol shot. Like I'm not going to do fentanyl. And, but I asked my sponsor, I'm like, why does everyone keep telling me I was eventually going to do fentanyl? And she, just like how I explained to you, how I crossed all those boundaries with myself, like I would have crossed that boundary. Maybe it would have taken a month. Maybe it would have taken three months, a year. Who knows? Two years. But it was going to happen. Because just like before, when the weed wasn't enough, the first time I did fentanyl, it was going to be the same sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. You know? Have you... uh, I I wanted to ask you if you've experienced, like, any type of abuse. Yes. So I dated... When I was 16 years old, I started dating um, a guy... um, and he was a drug dealer. And of course, the best boyfriend. <laughs> Those are the best. And like, biggest red flag. It's so funny how, like, looking back, how, like, stupid that, I was. You find that so attractive. So attractive. Oh my God, and like, now, if I was with, like, if I met a guy and he was, like, selling weed out of the trunk of his friend's car, I would have been like, ew. Like, <laughs> like, what are you doing with yourself, you know? But like, I was 16 and I was so curious about all that. Well, I don't know what's kind of, I just realized this. Mm-hmm. Now we're looking back and stigmatizing the drug dealers. Yeah, we are. (laughs) We are. We're literally on a podcast called Fuck the Stigma, and we're stigmatizing drug dealers. It's a nonstop cycle of stigma. It is. It is. It doesn't stop. And, like, it all starts with that, like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm stigmatizing this and that. But, anywho, go on. So, you know, I mean, he was a... At first, he was a good guy, you know? Um, And then about a year and a half into a relationship, um, he brought around pills for the first time. That's when we started doing fentanyl. And then when we started doing fentanyl, everything started changing. 
Um, he got really angry and abusive. Um, abusive how so? So he was very manipulative. Um, he was very physically abusive. I remember one time um, I was sucking his dick and I didn't seem into it enough. So he pushed me off of him and he just started going in. What? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, cause I wasn't into it enough. Like, okay, sorry. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Fake it like a porn star. Like, what am I supposed to do? No, no hate to porn stars. We love porn stars. We actually love porn stars. We were watching porn just before this. Yes. <laughs> Midget porn. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, you know, it just escalated. And over the course of those five years, it just got, every time it got more and more abusive. Um, and sometimes we would go a couple months where he'd be really nice and good. And I would really think that he was changing and he was going to stop cheating and all this stuff. He was going to get a job and get a car. And I just believed, cause like I'm the sort of person where I'm loyal to a default and it affect and I'm so loyal that it fucks up my life sometimes. Um, and so even though, you know, he was abusing me and he was putting his hands on me and, um, all this stuff, I stayed because one, he was my dealer and he, I was hooked on drugs and two, because, you know, I was in such a, like, I was so in like psychosis that I just didn't even like realize the situation, how dangerous the situation is. Like so many women die from domestic violence, you know, like, yeah. and you know, so many women don't get help and they have no one to talk to, you know? And like, there's such a stigma around women who speaking up about it, speaking up about it. And, and like, Oh, they're weak, you know, cause they don't speak up. Like, yeah. no, it's really, really fucking hard to leave an abusive relationship. You would think like, Oh, yeah. he hit me. I'm just going to leave. Yeah, like, it's no. not that simple. It's not that simple, you know, like not everything is black and white. Like there's, we live in the gray, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so, yeah, you know, and I, I'll tell this story because this was the last day I will ever allow a man to put his hands on me. Okay. So we were living together. This was like right before we broke up. Um, I had found out he had a whole other girlfriend behind my back and it was just like a whole, it was so messy and he told me he was going to hang out with one of his friends and i was like okay so i look out the window and this girl the girl he was dating behind my back is outside of our apartment so i run so we lived on the third top floor third floor of an apartment complex and there was no elevator it was just wooden stairs um and so i remember i ran out the front door and i just started booking it <laughs> like booking it down those stairs like i was gonna beat this girl's ass yeah. you know and he comes running after me and he grabs me by my hair my hair was in like a bun or a ponytail or something and he just rips it and he just drags me by my hair up the stairs like two flights of stairs what and or like two like you know how like stairs go like one and then there's like you know like but they're not full flights you yeah. know it was like that um and he just he drags me into the bedroom and just starts beating the fuck out of me what? like beating the fuck out of me because i was gonna go tell his other girlfriend that he has a girlfriend <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> my bad my bad i'm sorry i'm so sorry i am messing up your life you know so sorry oh my god so 
And I literally remember it was like, because a lot of the times I wouldn't like stand up for myself. I would just kind of let it happen because I was like on this drugs. Time you had enough. I I was done. I was like, I'll get I'll get my drugs somewhere else. Like I don't care. You know, like I was so done. Um, and so I just remember screaming at the top of my lungs and I was just like, get the fuck off of me. Like, get off. And mm-hmm. I was like, if you don't get your fucking hands off me right now, I'm going to call the police and you're going to go to fucking jail. And he just went like this. Not the police. He went like this. Just stopped. Started fa- backed away. It's the police that scared him yeah. away. Because he's a drug dealer. He's not going to also go to jail for drug- drugs. He's going to go to jail for domestic violence. Yeah. You know? And, um, so, but it's, and I don't like to give anyone a pass, but like, it is crazy how much the drugs change us because like I knew him before and, you know, like I knew him before and he was not like that at all. He was a great guy, you know, and that's what I held on to for so long, even though he was abusing me for five years. I know this very, I have this very good version of him in the back of my head. Mm -hmm. Like I know. What I know him at his best looks like. And I know what he can be. I know his potential. Yeah. You know? There's also a thing with, like, the delusion of liking somebody's potential. I know what you can be, but not what you are. Yeah. So now, I live by, if you aren't it, if you aren't it now, <laughs> bye. Call me when you are. Because I don't have time, <laughs> frankly. Like, I'm sorry to all the men out there, but, like, I gave someone a chance for five years, okay? Like, my chances are, like, this big. (laughs) Like, that's how slim, you know, like, it is, you know? And that's why I'm in so much of a weird place right now because, like, I am still living with my ex-boyfriend right now. And, like... Mm, Yeah, it's a weird position. It's a weird position to be in, you know? Because, like, it's just, like, why did I, you know... Why did I fuck everything up? That's honestly how I feel. You know, mm. some not all the time. Like I have moments where I'm so grateful for the relapse, and then I have moments where I'm like, fuck. Like, yeah. You know, and like at the end of the day, like it's done. Up. You gotta accept it. Exactly. Like it's in the past. You know. And like, there will be people who accept you. Even yeah. If you went back out and used. I like, mean, your addiction. Your addiction is always there in the back of your head. Just like the love from you know my community of people when I came out and relapsed, like. You know, I've done more with my community in these last four days than I did in the last two months. I'm really you proud know? of you for having come clean. Like, yes, for two months, something was pushing you away from coming clean. But like you had that last straw, mm-hmm. you pushed through that fear and you're like, hey, guys, I relapse. And it happens. And I'm really proud of you. It does, you know, and like, I don't want anyone to feel like, you know, like ask for help, ask for the help, you know, because like there no one's gonna judge you you know there might be some disappointment Mm -hmm. but everyone disappoints people sometimes we all disappoint people we've all because we place these unrealistic expectations on people Mm -hmm. jeez yeah but I am really grateful for you for opening up and talking about everything we've talked about today thank you Lysha um I don't know it takes a lot of balls to do that thank you well boobs in this scenario boobs um I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. And fuck the stigma.